This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. On today's episode of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, we're joined by Ben Mintz, also known as Mincy from Barstool Sports, to preview the Olbis vandy game on Saturday night. He also reminisces on some of the fun finishes between Ole Miss and Vandy over the years and apologizes to Vandy baseball fans for his viral video while Jack Leiter was on the mound in Omaha. We'll discuss that. But also, we debate whether or not Vandy will cover the 36-and-a-half spread against the Rebels, the offensive coordinator hire coming up in the offseason, and we give our thoughts on the disastrous showing of basketball at Memorial Gym last night against VCU. We've got all that and much more coming right up here on The Door Report, powered by Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Let's ride. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, Grab a cold one and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation, anchor down. Welcome back into the Door Report. It is episode 127. It is November 18th, 2021. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. And, Will, we've got uh, got a tough tough uh, recap here for VCU uh, men's basketball. VCU ended up beating Vanderbilt 48-37. to um, That was the lowest scoring output for a Vanderbilt men's basketball team since I think it was 2013 against Arkansas. Um, either 2012 or 2013. We'll get that stat a little bit later, but nonetheless, Will, it was just an awful showing of basketball by both teams, and this this is not a good sign for Vanderbilt. They can they can correct a lot of these issues. Good thing this is happening in game number three, but it's it's not a good sign for SEC play. Yeah, there there are a lot of things they did that were a fixable. Um, and I think we're scheme issues and just guys standing and watching the star players and saying, mm-hmm. make something happen. And I also think this is just another case of there's a reason they play seven game series in the NBA in basketball, because right. it's not like football. I mean, we were talking about this beforehand. You're going to have games where you come out and you just suck. There's a reason the number one seeds in the, in the NCAA tournament aren't undefeated at the end of the year. And they have one, two, three, four losses. They're really, really talented. They're in the most talented teams in the country, and they still have games they come out and underperform. So while there are things that we're going to get into that were problems with coaching decisions, with individual playing, I, I think this is going to be the case where I'm going to be a little bit more positive than yeah. I was right after the game and a little bit more positive than I think a lot of people on Twitter are right now. Yeah, there's a lot. I mean, Twitter, I think there was like 500 quote tweets of mo- uh, mostly other teams' fans just ripping into the the basketball program. And, and you know, there were also some Vandy people who were just, um, you know, I mean, I saw a tweet that said, I'm basically numb to Vanderbilt football and basketball right now. So there, there's a lot. There's a Can't lot obviously going on. There's a lot obviously going on 
um, with those two sports, and we'll, we'll dive into both of them. I mean, this, this, is, this is a football and basketball season crossover episode, so we'll dive into the Ole Miss preview as well. Uh, ben Mintz from Barstool Sports will check in. Uh, he'll he'll uh, give us the Ole Miss perspective uh, on that one as Vanderbilt heads up to Oxford on Saturday night. But before we get to the breaking news, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at door underscore report and Instagram door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. A Laco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, well, let's let's recap VCU here. And uh, this this game, as I said earlier, this was the fewest points as a program since the Commodore's 56 to 33 loss to Arkansas back in 2013. And really the only bright spot for Vanderbilt was Jordan Wright. He had 15 points. He was the only player in double figures. Uh, but when you score 37 points, there's not really a bright spot at all. Uh, Vandy had five different scoring droughts of three minutes or more um, throughout this game. Scotty Pippen, Will, I want to dive into him uh, here initially. And, and I know we have a ton of stats to get to, uh, especially with the team stats. But he was double teamed most of the game and even triple teamed at times. And Vanderbilt looked lost. Like, you know, they they didn't. That happened last year, too. We saw where teams would double team Scotty and then he, you know, he would have to, he would be forced to uh, try to do more on his own. And, and you, you, you didn't see other guys step up. But now I think what you're seeing is you have those guys to step up, but, the, but they didn't step up against BCU. You saw Jordan Wright um, not able to hit shots. And Will, I think a lot of this game, I mean, they were two for 25 from three. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's ever going to happen this season again. I'd be shocked if it does. Maybe you get close to that number, but you're not going to beat many teams with that number, especially with the amount of threes you shoot. So when you're shooting that many threes and you're not, ma- you're making two, that really inhibits your your offense. And especially, it's based around Scottie Pippen Jr. when he's not able to penetrate, uh, which he was able he was able to penetrate, but he always had guys, two guys around him. So. Well, I look at Pippen in this game and Vanderbilt. I'm glad it's happening early for this team because they can kind of figure out what to do and how to play around Scotty Pippen if he's not playing well. But eight points from Scotty and two for 25 from three point range is not going to get it done most nights. Yeah, and I don't even think this game, I think the box score is very misleading because I was there. I watched the entire thing. I went back through. Scotty Pippen Jr. didn't necessarily play awful. He didn't play awful. The, VCU's entire game plan was we're going to make everyone else beat us. And they, we're just going to make them make plays. Scottie Pippen will not be the guy that scores and beats us. Yeah. And the rest of the team did not step up. The entire offense that Stackhouse ran, and I kind of have to, in this evaluation, Billy, I'm going to have to start out with the criticisms of the on-court, on-court performance and then I want to get into the actual impact of this and how they can fix it and a little more positive side of looking forward. Mm-hmm. So just this game against VCU, my concerns as to why, let's just start out with why this is a bad sign and why this team is going to suck. Exactly. So I don't believe, but these are the reasons that I saw that can lead to not necessarily the most positive outlook. So first two games of the year, you had Alabama State and Texas mm-hmm. State. Both of those teams, Alabama State's not a good team. They're not a good mid-major. But Texas State, 
was in the tournament better. last year. Pretty solid mid-major program. Neither of those teams have length. Neither of those teams have large conference length and NCAA tournament length. What Vanderbilt is lacking severely is length. They don't they don't have they're undersized. They have Taryn Frank and Jermaine Mann playing that five position often I, when I think Quentin Melora Brown have, is out there. They don't have the athletic length. You know, Quentin exactly. Malora, Quentin Melora Brown is six ten, but he's not a guy that's gonna go be able to trap and and get steals like you saw VCU will. I think Stackhouse, you know, Stackhouse looks at that team and says, man, if we, I want to be what they are. Now, obviously, Vanderbilt's a better offensive team, but if Vanderbilt can get to that point defensively where they're impacting the game on that end of the floor, I think that's what, what, what you can see and you can hope for because VCU is that they're not, they're an awful offensive team. I mean, their defense, I, I, I don't know if this, the stat is out there, but their defense had to have contributed. To a large percent of their points and so when you look at when you look at this game if Vanderbilt plays a little bit better offensively I think they win you know I, I think maybe it's closer maybe they you know maybe they hang in there a little bit better but well I, I think this is a lot of they that you're not going to see this offensive performance this season again yeah there there's there's so many things and I don't have anything written down here with consolidated notes for myself a lot of so if I repeat myself here I apologize, but number one, before I get into any of this, is the referees, and that's not why Vanderbilt lost. They called it relatively this way both ways. Mm -hmm. It's just it benefits a team like VCU more when they call the game this way, is they just decided that hand checks, body checks, double teaming on screens, fouls did not exist. They were not going to call a foul on Scottie Pippen coming off a screen and getting hammered and having a a hand on his hip on every single drive and getting body bumped. They just weren't going to call it. They were not, and then they would and randomly VCU decide, that. and they would randomly that. decide to call a hand check on Vanderbilt on the other end. Because my number one issue, my soapbox with college basketball, but NBA, it's at all levels of basketball. In high school and college, it's most prevalent because these guys suck for the most part. The, the refereeing, refereeing in bas- in high school and college basketball is so much worse than it is in football. Like football gets more attention because it's individual plays. But these referees in basketball, you have one game you can't even breathe on a guy, and the next game you can form tackle him, and it's not a foul. But so where I have the big issue with refereeing is if you foul from the opening tip, and you hand check, and you body bump, and off screens you bump into the ball handler, and you hold guys on rolls, if you do it from the opening tip, referees are not going to call it every time. If you're VCU, they did it from the opening tip. If you're Vanderbilt, they don't. They play more of a zone. They don't full court press. Vanderbilt doesn't do it all game. So when you go up and do the same thing the other team is doing, they're going to call you for fouls. And my issue is you have to objectively step back. And, and when I look at referees, I'm like, you just have to say, call 10 fouls in the first three minutes and say, if you do this the rest of the game, I will foul out the rest of your team. Because it's a foul. It is a foul is a foul is a foul. It doesn't matter if the team plays aggressive or soft defense. So I had to get out there beforehand. Okay. Well, I, I want to point out too, Will, VCU on that that style of play, they want, you know, they, they get the ref sucked into their style of play. And once they do that, they get the other team sucked into their style of play. And then VCU controls the game. I mean, you saw that with Shaka Smart. And they're still that way. You know, Billy, I, you were I, right where I was going. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think Will – when you're able to take that defense out of the game and Vanderbilt I, at times, but for the most part of that game, when Vanderbilt was not getting shots, they were shooting early. They, they had, they were shooting within five seconds of the first shot clock. And you saw, I think a Jordan Wright corner three where, you know, the, obviously they're not falling. It's always tough for that, but 
with this team, I don't think you saw as much ball movement and you didn't see as much. Uh, you saw some sets, of course, but, you know, th- with, with this Vanderbilt team right now, well, I look at if they move the ball and, and if they have a high number of assists, that's when you can see them winning games or competing. You know, I think if they have a high assist number, you look at that in the box score without seeing the score and you say, okay, this is either a close game or they won the game. Now there's other factors, of course, but the assist number was five, five assists for Vanderbilt. And, you know, you're not going to beat Vanderbilt is a team that you have to have that high number of assists. I think now with Scotty Pippen jr, not every game, but I just think this is the type of team that if you're moving the ball and you have say 15 assists in this game, I think you're winning because that extra pass is what is what creates a lot of opportunities. So, well, the, it, it, like I said, the trap, if you get sucked into that VCU trap and Vanderbilt did, you're, it's, it's a Venus fly trap. You're not getting out. Well, <laughs> this is, you, you went exactly where I wanted to go here, which is I had to get the referee thing out first to get to the next point, which is VCU wants to play an ugly form of basketball, yes. a hideous form of basketball. They have no offensive players. They have no offensive skill. Everything is built off this press they run that they foul the shit out of everyone. It was like this in their previous games. That's why their previous games were in the low 60s and they lost 58 to 44 to Wagner because that's how they play. They foul the crap out of you up and down the court. If referees are going to call it, they're going to lose by double digits. If referees call the game properly, if referees get sucked into this like 90% of them do, it's going to be a low scoring game. And, and we're not and we're not blaming this on the refs. That, I'm no, I, I am that. partially. It's all stems from this. It, it that it's not the referees are not why they lost. Vanderbilt's to blame for why they yeah. lost because they. That's what I'm about to get they, to. Yeah, they're. But if the referees control this game properly from the beginning, Vanderbilt only shooting 17 free throws this entire game is a travesty. That team, Vanderbilt should have shot 40 free throws. They should have been to the double bonus from the 12 minute mark on in both halves. It was awful, but. Vanderbilt exacerbated the problem because VCU wants to slow down the game, full court, heavy press, pressure on you from the moment you you inbound the ball. And Vanderbilt continuously did not push the pace. They Mm -hmm. played into this slow pace. And I think Vanderbilt wants to play at a more up-tempo pace. And when you're playing a team that plays aggressive defensively, Jerry Stackhouse is an NBA-style college coach. Okay. And that's fine. That's the net. That's, that's kind of what you are seeing around the NB or the NCAA is you're mm-hmm. seeing more Calipari esque mm-hmm. coaches in that coaching style, which is well, I'm going to get in my guys get and, and set them up, set them up in one-on-one situations off screen and roll games, setting up shooters on the outside. And that's what it looked like Stackhouse was trying to do. A lot of what they ran throughout this game was they would bring the ball down with Pippen off this full court press and they would run a two screen game with two guys setting screens simultaneously. And VCU was doubling Scottie Pippen. And on the backside, you have shooters set up on the opposite side of the court. So if Scottie Pippen, once he's able to get around those screens and drive towards the middle of the lane, that help has to shift over that are on those guys on the outside, boom, you're open for an outside kick. However, Stackhouse, the issue that I have is he did not adjust when that wasn't working because they were doubling Scottie Pippen coming off that screen with one of the guys leaving with that length kind of standing there as one guy rolls one guy picks and pops and you have another guy in that that same side corner and they were just standing there with their length and Vanderbilt could do nothing with it and there was no backside action the entire game of any type of backside screening to get open nothing nothing like that it was all stand around and it was the NBA style of offense, right. which is set the screen for Scottie Pippen, spot up, he's going to make a one-on-one move and make something happen. 
And that's one thing that's okay to start out. But VCU was not going to let that happen. They were going to take the ball out of Scottie Pippen's hands throughout the game. And this team, as much as you were talking about assists and everything, I actually had a very different perspective watching it. This team was hesitant. This team was very hesitant to shoot. It was multiple times there were guys that had open looks on the outside, pump fake, drive, kick back out, pump fake, drive, and you end up settling for a 30-foot three at the end of the shot clock contested. And that's why you saw the two for 25, is this team was overpassing and overdriving. Take the easy look. As the team, as teams progress, you see it a lot in the beginning of the year with the teams at the high school level, you see it in college, is you play these worse, I don't want to say bad, non-conference opponents, Alabama State, Texas State, you have a lot more open looks against those teams. So you can pump fake and drive and they don't have the length inside um, preventing you from scoring and there's more open looks on the outside. So you can get that ideal shot. You can get a wide open jumper. And what Vanderbilt against VCU should have come in knowing that you were not going to do is you're not going to get a, a jumper with no one within eight feet of you. That's just not going to happen. Your open look now, as opposed to before, was you don't have a guy closing out within eight feet. Well, now that's four feet because you're playing a, a, an opponent with superior athletes as opposed to what you've played previously in a completely different whole mantra around the game of basketball and scheme is they're going to play so aggressively and crowd your shooters off of the three-point line and they're going to force you to drive into their length and athleticism well Vanderbilt played right into their hands and continuously tried to drive into that lane and once again stemming back to referees when you're trying to drive into that lane against a lengthy team with athleticism and they're allowing you to foul the crap out of them, well, then you're going to score 37 points. And Vanderbilt didn't adjust at any point throughout the game. They continued to try to run the same thing over and over. They did not try to press off or push the ball off of made baskets. They allowed VCU to get back in, set up into their defense, set up into their full court press. So there were a lot of things with pace of play that Vanderbilt allowed VCU to control what was happening throughout the game. And it's and it was so obvious in that in that arena in Memorial Gym what was happening. And you just felt Vanderbilt's whole game plan kind of shift from we're going to run up tempo NBA style, get shooters going, get our playmakers going to, oh crap, well, now we're just turning the ball over. And you felt the confidence go down just a little bit. Yeah. And you and you felt, okay, why, why is this not happening? And Jordan Wright, by the way, I know he led the team with scoring. If Jordan Wright plays like that, I had my number four Vanderbilt jersey on. If Jordan Wright plays like that the rest of the year, Vanderbilt will win zero SEC games. That was the worst game he has, he has played in a long time. I going back to last season. Yeah, I mean, um, he yeah, was he, he was he turned the ball over. He even the shots that he missed. That's what I was talking about with hesitant. Jordan Wright's a good shooter. He shot over forty three percent from three last year, and repeatedly he had the ball kicked out to him with three four feet of space. Easily could get the shot up pump fake drive and then the shot clock's running yeah. out at that point and there was one in particular it was in the second half i believe he got it kicked out to him in the corner and there was no and a guy was hesitated and then shot on, it and yep. he pump faked and then shot yep. and missed you're gonna miss that shot 90 i don't know what the real percentages are but i know you rarely see guys yep. that are not named steph curry or yep. ray allen hit that no, shot like that I, th I look at this game will and you just saw you said it right the hesitancy i mean there was there was just not a lot of confidence there wasn't a lot of urgency and i think from the get-go you know you from even you know you look at that first half and it's like oh there's no way the second half could be much worse right no, you're completely wrong. The second half was was even worse than that first half. And it's crazy looking at some of the, the per individual stats. Jordan Wright, six of 16 from the field. He got a little uh, little dog shot there. 
Uh, Scotty Pippen Jr., two for 10. Uh, you also had Miles Studi, 0 for 3. I mean, these numbers, it, it, they're, they're pretty mind-boggling. So, Will, I think that brings us to the question of how much will the arrival of Liam Robbins and Rodney Chapman help this team? And, you know, I think we're all going off of this one game. You know, they could go, come out and play really well against Winthrop, and a lot of our minds would begin to change again. So I don't want to put all of this on this one game, but where this team is at right now in this season, I think Chapman would help would help a lot just because he, he would – you know, Chapman's another penetrator. If you look at this team, Will, realistically, I think there's a few guys that you're comfortable penetrating and kicking out. I think Scottie Pippen can do that. Jordan Wright can do that. Tyron Lawrence has shown he can do that. But other than that, I mean, you have DeZoni and Peyton Daniels, but those guys have, you know, those are freshman guys who have not, who haven't played much. So when you get Chapman back, that's another ball handler. So now you have four legit guys. You could save five, six of Daniels and DeZoni, but you, you add Chapman in there and then you get Liam Robbins down low. We talk about athletic length. He's an athlete. I mean, he's a, he's a legit seven foot athlete. He's not some kind of you know, freakish Greek freak athlete, but he's a guy that can run the floor. He can sh pick and pop, shoot the ball. So, well, I think a lot of this revolves around, Hey, we don't have those two guys right now. Not, not saying last night was, was a, a fluke or anything. That was, that, that's a, that's an issue. You know, the, this is this, that's a, that's an awful sign for this team in sec play. Now there's a blueprint for other sec teams and it's VCU. So every SEC team should be thanking VCU. But I mean, I, the blueprint was already out, especially from last season. But, well, I think mostly look at this. And, and I asked the question, how much can Chapman and Robbins really help this team? And is, is this team just as a whole really in a lack of depth situation and lack of long athletes? That I mean, you look at VCU's roster and just looking at their bench. I mean, they've got what, what, what would you say, Will? Probably 10. 10 deep, 11 deep, maybe even more. I mean, they, and, and they're all pretty even in that regard on the, on the, on, on the uh, scouting charts. So I just look at this and I ask you, will, how much do Chapman and Robbins help? I think they'll help, but to what degree? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you, you have Pippen who's your point guard and who is your primary scorer. And that's newer and more common now in basketball as your point guard is also your leading scorer who runs your offense and handles the ball but going into this game, you know that your primary ball handler is going to be doubled off of every single screen mm -hmm. that, that is set for him when he's handling the ball. And it was very weird to see that they didn't have anything set up backside or anybody flashing yes. hot for him to dump off the ball, which contributed to the number of turnovers that he had with five turnovers. Mm -hmm. And there was no backside movement. That's what I keep hitting on is... It is great to run an NBA-style offense. I think that is the next revolution of college basketball in the same way that the old NFL-style pro offense in college football is the opposite direction. I think RPO and spread offenses are the future of college yes. football. I think you are antiquated if you're still running an I-form college football offense. Obviously, you know, different, different with Georgia and different with these teams that can right. pull in the five-star offensive line. But for the most part... That's gone. And I think the same thing, the old swing it around, how Belmont runs offense, that's beautiful to watch. I think those are unique situations that's still going to be run. And mm -hmm. I think this NBA style plays towards the skill set of a lot of these guys coming in now as recruits. And that's great. But you have to you have to merge it. It can't be a pure form of that. And I think that has been the one thing with Stackhouse. And obviously he's not 
had the guys yet, but this year he does have some guys. I think mm -hmm. Vanderbilt does have some depth, right. maybe not as much as they would hope or in the future they will have, but you have to adjust what you are doing. And, and it's continuously this screen and roll game with stagnant shooters set on the outside that works in the NBA because of how they referee the game. Um, they, they do not allow help over off of your man standing in the paint with defensive three seconds. So they can't even react to that ball handler coming off of that screen and be set in the paint until he's already entered the paint. So that opens up the play with stagnant shooters on the outside without backside movement. Now, in this game, what they did is they had help completely shifted over towards Pippen, doubled him on the screen, and they were able to stay shifted over with no fear of a defensive three seconds because you have no backside movement. So it's easy to maintain your help responsibilities and close out on the shooter. Mm -hmm. And that is where Stackhouse needs to do needs to go back to the drawing board. And that's why I said I want to get into this before I get into my real take on the game, which is... Yeah. You have to make some adjustments because this pure double screen and roll, pick and roll offense with everybody standing and watching just isn't going to work. And no. you saw for the first time this season, it's still not going to work against these teams with the length and athletes. And this VCU team is a lot more similar to the teams they're going to be seeing oh, yeah. in conference play than anyone else that they are going mm -hmm. to see in the month of November. And so VCU this was a good test and Vanderbilt failed. <laughs> yes, they did. And well, I also you talked about Stackhouse, and you can easily see the NBA principles in this offense. But you know, we're like the same problem we're talking about with football right now. Does he have the all the Jimmys and Joes? He has Pippen. He's got Wright. So I think there's there's a majority of those sets that are going to work and are going to and are going to. I'm not comparing right now football and basketball, <laughs> but I think you're seeing similar similar problems um and we'll 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 have plenty more time to dive in more of the, into more of basketball but they do return home saturday night seven o'clock to host winthrop so a, an opportunity bounce back uh, and and boy if, if they don't i think that's that's only digging yourself a deeper hole if you're stackhouse and vanderbilt and and you know we'll, we'll have to see but we'll yeah I, I do it, want to get my positive i want to get my positive out there uh, which here's is the my outlook so we i've I've given my negatives. I've given that this team played awful. The game plan wasn't good. They allowed VCU to to put their stamp on the game in Vanderbilt, never put their stamp on the game. That being said, everybody take a chill pill. All right, the season is not dead. This isn't the worst team in the history of Vanderbilt basketball. This is not gonna be, in my opinion, a 20 loss basketball team. I would be surprised. I would be shocked if this team loses 20 games this season. I, me and you both went into this year saying we're, we were like, we hope that they can have a positive overall record, that they can be like mm. 16 and 15, 17 and 14. That would be a big step forward. Guys, they're going to drop some of these games. This is basketball. It's not football. We're in the football mindset right now of the best teams go undefeated. That doesn't happen. And you look you at a team like the Belmont. Basketball Belmont right is a good example. Belmont basketball, they were in the others receiving votes. They were ranked the number two mid-major team only behind Gonzaga in the entire country. And they came out and got dominated by Ohio in game one and lost by 12. Is Belmont season done now because they came out and had one bad performance? No. Yes. Was this performance awful on the offensive end? Yes. yes. Billy, when you say Jimmys and Joes, are there any Jimmys and Joes that should score 37 points in a Division One basketball game? No. no, because I think this team shot – uh, 53 total shots, okay? 12. They went they 12, 12 of 53. Though. I think if you allowed Scottie Pippen Jr. to walk up to half court and shoot from the star every single possession, 
he would have hit 12 or 14 of them and they would have scored more points than they scored in this game. And that's where I get to, that is simply your game plan being horrendous and combination, your team playing badly. So I think you watch this, you learn from it, you adjust. And then after today, you just burn it. You burn the tape, you watch the tape and you burn it. I tweeted out that uh, actually you watch the digital recording of the game and then you delete it, but that doesn't sound near as cool or dramatic. So (laughs) you can learn some things from this. But it's also, you're not going to shoot two of 25 again. Even if you just launched the ball up, contested, you're not going to shoot two of 25. Mm -hmm. This was a wake-up call. This team needed it. Um, Now, if they come out and they – but what you have done now, even though I'm not pressing the panic button. You have put pressure on yourself. You have made yourself to the point now, this was your room for error in the month of November. You needed to go five and one. So now you don't have any more room for error. So you need to come out. You need to play better against Winthrop. You need to beat Pittsburgh at Pittsburgh now. That's almost a necessity now if you want to have an improvement in overall record. So this team, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, George W. Bush, you can't get fooled again. <laughs> so that's, that is what it is. I'm not that's, pressing that's the where we're at button. Right now. If they come out and have a performance like this against Winthrop or Pittsburgh, either one, even if they come out and dominate Winthrop, then I'm pressing the panic button because this means that there's a clear blueprint to stop this offense. And I don't see a path forward if they lose either of those games. It's almost like, well, the alarm clock sounds and and this was that VCU game. But if you keep hitting snooze, there's bigger issues. Can't keep hitting Mm -hmm. snooze against against Winthrop. Can't hit it against Pittsburgh. And, and well, listen, this is one game. I, I, you know, as much as people don't want to listen to it, it, this is going to happen. Now this, if this is not the worst game offensive showing of the season, I'm, I'll, I'll be shocked. I'll be, this I this will is be all we are saying. It seems like stunned. we're saying the same thing, Billy, is are we disappointed in the performance and feel like they should have performed better? Absolutely. They played now, I, poorly. I and this is, sound... this is a bad performance coaching players. But it's also not the end of the season. This isn't losing one of your 12 games to ETSU. This isn't – Draw, this is one game of a long season to a non-conference opponent that's probably going to be top 20, top 25 defensively at the end of the year. Now, their offense is pretty awful. Yeah. But defensively, they're going to be a really good defensive team. They're probably going to be right near, I don't know, top five, six, yeah. seven in their conference. And, they're pro- and I mean, it's not an awful team. And they're right in that top 100 in Ken Palm. This isn't a devastating loss. They've had much more devastating losses with teams that had NCAA tournament hopes. So mm-hmm. can we all... press the press the reset button take a chill pill relax i know that i'm not usually the guy saying that but holy hell guys i mean it's one basketball game this is not a a complete redo and time to just call it on stack and scotty pippen and jordan wright you're gonna have bad games and and basketball is the definition of you feed off the energy and if one guy's missing two got to your two key guys aren't playing well aren't aren't hitting their shots and jordan wright scotty pippen it feeds to the rest of the team miles studi just never got involved a lot of guys never got involved move on to Winthrop come out kick Winthrop's ass and then you're reset back on track at three and one we're on to Winthrop we're on to Winthrop Saturday night Memorial Gym that'll be a seven o'clock uh start time there but well we got a football game to talk about and again this isn't going to be a lengthy preview for Ole Miss um but let's dive into it Vandy is two and eight oh and seven in the conference at number 12 Ole Miss they are eight and two overall four and two in the conference, this game will kick off at 8.30 p.m. Eastern time on the SEC Network. Ole Miss, Will, is a 36.5-point favorite in this one. The over-under is 64.5. 
Last season, Will, we remember uh, Vandy lost at home to Ole Miss 54 to 21. And, you know, that was that was one of many uh, disastrous performances from that team last season. But, Will, I want to take a look at some of these stats. And I know this is it's, – it's tough at this point, Will, because I think a lot of these previews, we're talking about the same things over and over again. But, you know, there's – I feel like with this team, there's always a, a little bit of a deeper layer to kind of get into and say, okay – Yes, we're, we're probably we're not beating Ole Miss, but what improvements can we see? And that those are going to be in the keys. But, Will, some of these stats, Ole Miss is, you could say, the best offense in the SEC. Statistically, they are at the top of, of every category, 36 points per game. Um, they're only allowing 26 points per game defensively, too. So their defense has gotten better as well. 522 total yards per game compared to Vanderbilt's 297. So, Will, at, looking at these numbers again, Vanderbilt is not going to win this game. It's at Ole Miss. I do think Ole Miss will rest a lot of guys, and, and this will give maybe Vanderbilt an opportunity. Uh, but this isn't the same hangover trap game opportunity that it might have been in the Franklin era or maybe even early in the Mason era just because of what the, the ailments of this Vanderbilt team right now. So, Will, initially here with this matchup, uh, where do you see – You know, do you see any room for Vanderbilt to – I mean, improve. I mean, we can have improvements, but where are where are those areas for small improvements here? Because that's what we're looking at. See, I just I don't think I don't think anyone, me or you or any fans have illusions about what is going to happen in these last two games. You were literally probably these last two games of the year playing the two teams that are the most hellacious matchups possible for Vanderbilt. You have have up-tempo, pass-heavy, quick RPO action with great athletes on the outside. Teams, yeah, quarterbacks playing really well. Where this team can improve, man, is just competing. I mean, I, I don't think you can point to any individual in the individual position group or say we hold them to this number of points or this number of, mm-hmm. of yard, this amount of yardage or prevent their running game from doing this or prevent this number of sacks. I don't think you can put any of that out just because there's so much to just be being saying that after the first quarter, you're not down three scores. And th- that is where a lot of our, we have all these keys. We have where they can need to improve. This team just needs to not be down by 40 at halftime. And I just think if this team can come out and even think about being relatively competitive, if you're still even within striking distance 10 minutes into the I think that's a step forward. Mm-hmm. Because I really, really do think that I'm shocked it's only a 36.5-point line. Um, Vanderbilt right now is the 128th out of 130th team in the country um, as far as talent is concerned when looking at uh, strength of schedule rankings. They're mm-hmm. awful. Um, so that's where I just have to sit and say, like, there's we can do all this detailed breakdown to basically then go out and watch Vanderbilt be down 41 to nothing in the first half. And that just feels pointless. So I think we're going to have some things to watch for sure and things to focus on and see what what the coaching staff decides to do. But regardless of what coaching staff decisions or if the players come out and play well or execute this or that the talent level player for player is just too big and the coaching ability of Ole Miss and Tennessee, in my opinion, from Lane Kiffin and Josh Heupel is light years ahead of Clark Lee and the staff. And that's just the reality of it. And once again, being told, being told once again, that defensive and offensive coaches are the same and OC versus DC doesn't matter. Well, Lane Kiffin got brought into Ole Miss and it was not too long ago that Vanderbilt was beating Ole Miss. 
um, with our defensive-minded head coach. And by God, if Lane Kiffin doesn't come in there and all of a sudden they're averaging 522 yards of offense, is, is that just so happened because he's such a good CEO? Obviously not. So I am now on this big tangent of like, how are people still saying there's no difference in bringing in an OC that has a great offensive mind versus a defensive coordinator? And that was my big thing going into the coaching surge is look at what Kiffin has done. Look at what Heupel has done. Look at what Mike Leach has done. These are all offensive minds that have had turnarounds and at least brought in an exciting brand of football that A, draws in recruits, B, draws in fans, at least makes you feel like no matter what, our defense may not be able to get a stop early, but no matter what, you're going to see this team come out and compete, and it's going to be fun. Ole Miss was losing a lot last year. They weren't necessarily a they great were five team and five. last season. Yep. Yeah, they weren't a great team. But you know what you brought in? You brought in a guy that's willing to take risks, willing to run this unique style of offense, can get the pieces in to fit this unique offense that fit his offense. Right now, Vanderbilt doesn't have that. And so we have our and, things to watch and everything. Yes. But, man, it's really disheartening to see that – Clark Lee, it, it, he could end up being a great coach at Vanderbilt. I'm not caught pulling the plug on him. That's not what I'm saying whatsoever. But if he doesn't, and Vanderbilt in four or five years goes out on a coaching surge, Billy, and if we are still doing this, you are going to hear me go ballistic about hiring an OC, hiring an offensive coordinator. Because, you know, the last, the last guy that had an offensive pedigree and came in was James Franklin. Other than that, Ben, he's never hired one ever. Now, one time, and that is where I just sit here and I'm like, do you guys never think or look, you learn, history is destined to repeat itself unless you learn from it. And Vanderbilt just hired Derek Mason 2.0 and Clark Lee. And until he shows me something different, that's the perspective I'm going into every game with. Yeah, it's uh, it's tough. Well, I mean, Clark Lee, he's early. This is year one, and there's still a lot to happen. And um, you know, he's the he's coaching effort and culture right now. You know, well, it's that, the same thing with Stackhouse. It's the same thing with Stackhouse scoring 37 points in a game. It's like, okay, are, is there an issue with personnel that you need to get your guys and get more talent in there? 100. percent But it, is there any excuse if you are a head coach for the offense to be this bad with Vanderbilt basketball 37 points? No. There is no excuse, and that's one game, so I'm willing to let that slide. If Vanderbilt had just scored three points against CTSU and then the offense performed well throughout the rest of the year, fine with it. There is no – these guys are not special needs playing football on the field for Vanderbilt. Can we stop talking about them like they are? I hate this the, this narrative that has grown throughout Vanderbilt media, and maybe we're part of the issue – Vanderbilt's talent is less than everyone in the SEC, Absolutely. Is Vanderbilt's talent less than Colorado State and Stanford? No, no, not really. You don't. You look at the twenty-four-seven rankings. Stanford's no, it's not. Stanford. Even with transfers, even no, Stanford's not that good this year. Even with transfers, and that offense played pretty good. That was probably their best game of the year too. Is the funny part, but this t- team's talent is like a twenty percent difference between teams like Missouri and Mississippi State. Thirty percent. They shouldn't be scoring six points against Mississippi State. This offense should not be a historically bad Vanderbilt offense ranked dead last alongside teams that are considering shutting down their football programs. There's no excuse. These players are three stars, four stars. 
These are not guys that should be putting up this number of points. This is a scheme problem. 100% plain and no, simple. And I'm, I'm, you can talk about Jimmys and Joes, but these guys are legit college athletes that if you plugged into 90% of the other programs in the country would be key contrib- would be contributors. Um, if you just plugged them into the system, they would perform better. And not saying they would play over the guys, but if you plugged them into that system, they would play better in 90% of the other offensive systems in the country than at Vanderbilt. So that's, you got me, you got me, I got myself off Getting on a tangent there, but, but no, I, but will. I mean, I, I'm, I'm just tired with, of hearing that it's all scheme. Joey List, this, this is not acceptable. No, it's, it's obviously not. And in the offensive coordinator, that that's the m- number one focus. If they don't bring in an offensive coordinator, that's, you know, that's a problem. You know, that there is a serious problem and Clark Lee knows that, you know, and, and he's not going to, you know, I, I hope I would hope so. You know, that, that, that's our only hope. You know, if Joey Lynch is retained next season as the offensive coordinator, that's I don't even know what to say after that. So, well, I think he will be. it's it's um, it's just tough right now because, you know, you, you like to see that improvement. And, and we thought for a while, you know, we after even after that Stanford game, we had I think there was some noticeable yep. improvement there and <laughs> even in the crowd. Um, you know, but now we know we knew this was going to happen. You get into the meat of the SEC schedule and you just got to kind of I mean, you're looking for effort. You're looking for those those small culture changes. So, um, well, we're kind of changing our, our preview format here. You know, I, I don't even I think we've talked about the keys. <laughs> I, I, I didn't have I didn't write down any, any uh, my three things to watch because, you know, I, th- I do feel like we've brought up the same. So what we're going to do is I, I do think we've dove. I've looked at yours. I, I think we've dove into a lot of yours. But if you want to run through your yeah, three things to watch and I can and we can both comment on them. So number one thing to watch uh, for Mr. Will Byram, I'll, I'll chime in. Who is QB one is going to be the number one thing to watch because we have to change these from keys because these are not going to be keys to win the game. These are just things to watch and and learn from and really the storylines going into this game is number one. Is it going to be Mike Ryder Ken Seals out there? And regardless of who comes out first, is this going to be a quarterback rotation? Um, my hope would be that Mike Wright comes out as the starter and Ken Seals, unless Mike Wright comes out and plays extremely, extremely well, that you're going to see some type of rotation. And I hate QB rotations, but at this point in the year, you're really just putting things on film to evaluate these guys going into the offseason. Yeah. You're not looking at wins moving forward to next year. So number one, Billy, I think it's going to be to watch yeah. what, who takes those snaps. And if they do a quarterback rotation, I would really like to see two, three series regardless of outcome mm-hmm. and then two, three series regardless of outcome. Yeah, I think- That would be my ideal situation. I, I would imagine what Clark is doing right now in this coaching staff. You saw a full half with Ken Seals. You saw a full half with Mike Wright. Does he continue to do that? Is the, Are these last three games just evaluation time, like you just said? Um, and, you know, for Ken Seals, I, the pers- it's, it's amazing. It's mind-boggling to me to see how the perception of him as a player within this offense has changed. It's, it's crazy. After last season, we came into this season, Will, saying he was you know, not saying he was going to light the world on fire, but he was going to take a step forward. We thought he was going to take that step forward. So with that, with none of that happening and him actually regressing, it's crazy to see where the offense is now because of that. Ken Seals was, I mean, there's issues, of course, with the offensive coordinator that, and, and that whole position. So that plays a role in it as well. But we talk, you know, we've talked about some of the chemistry issues as well. We saw those with Cam Johnson. We saw him 
with all the receivers. And of course, Ramon Davis getting hurt was a huge blow. So there's so many factors with this team right now. And, you know, I think to an extent, you, you know, you don't, you can't call it a wash like last season. Will you can't, cause this is the, this was an actual season, but you know, for, for these, this quarterback situation in particular, it's so tough to evaluate because if for Ken Seals, it's easier because you saw him, he played against ETSU. You saw him play time, then he got hurt. But for Mike Wright, like you said earlier, Will, are we really, you know, truly evalu evaluating him to a fair degree? I don't think so. So for these quarterbacks, I've almost ran out, run out of things to say, like, you know, this coming into this game, I would, I agree with you. I think, you know, I'd like to see Mike Wright play. I'd like to, I'd like to see Mike Wright start. How much do we see Ken Seals though uh, at this point? Uh, does it matter? Is this more of evaluation film for next season? And uh, you know, who knows? So we'll, I, I'll go with, um, you know, I, I think, Ken, I think Mike Wright will start. That's just my guess. Um, and then we'll see Ken Seals maybe sporadically throughout so I think slowly the pendulum has swung to Mike Wright starting and then Ken Seals kind of being rotated. So that's my guess. I have no clue. I could be totally wrong, but that's what I'm throwing out there. Well, it's just, I don't understand. You have Mike Wright, you've seen play in the South, correct me if I'm wrong on these. This is me off my memory. South, South Carolina game almost yep. led them to a victory, their first yep. SEC victory in a long time. It should have been outside of a bad defensive mm -hmm. performance at the end blown out by mississippi state mississippi state was much better than we thought they were they at one mm -hmm. point were number 17 in the country nightmare matchup of that air raid style offense against our defense mm -hmm. offense performed poorly move on to the next one that's happened then you have he almost played a tight game against missouri relatively mm -hmm. 37 28 three touchdown passes i believe yep. and then you saw him come out in the second half against kentucky and lead the team down on two straight touchdown drives after putting three points up in the entire first half so my point is we keep putting this in here and and saying it from the perspective of like Ken Seals has come out and he's either and you can look at it they, that the quarterbacks have played evenly when we've seen them on the field and that hasn't been the case. No. Mike Wright has been head and shoulders light years better than Ken Seals every single time he's been out there on the field. Mm -hmm. And that's where I think this whole question of quarterback is like we've seen what Ken Seals he's had his chance we've seen what he's done this year and it's been really bad. We've seen what Mike Wright has done this year. Has he been perfect? Absolutely not. Has the offense looked objectively better with Mike Wright at quarterback? Without yes. a doubt, 1,000%. No yes, doubt it has looked better. Therefore, going out onto the field, let's game plan around him. Let's get let's go out there and let's give him a shot. But let's go to the number I'm two key number here two, because here I don't go. think we want to uh, spend too much more time on that yeah. discussion. Let's keep going. So my number two is, does this staff want to take the risk of giving this chance a team or giving this team a chance to win? And let me kind of elaborate on that because so in the Mississippi State game, you, you've touched on it with they don't have the corners to play press coverage. And I understand that. I, I completely understand that perspective. You just don't have the guys to really do what you want to do defensively. I get it. That being said, there, there's two sides to that coin in that you scheme a game plan around your personnel and defense that's going to allow you not to get the break speed off of you. But that same game plan scheme that you were deciding to run against Mississippi State of playing off coverage and kind of dropping back, you're guaranteeing you're going to lose by 30 plus, 25 plus. You're just also guaranteeing you're not going to lose by 60. So that is basically what I'm saying right here. Yeah, we're is, splitting hairs. Is this, is this team 
going to, is this coaching staff, Coach Lee, all of them, are they going to make the decision to actually give this team a chance to compete in this game and win by playing press coverage, getting up there, pressuring the Ole Miss quarterback, Matt Corral? Because this Ole Miss team, they run RPOs the most in the SEC. They run them 38% of the time. And Ole Miss is the second highest negative play percentage in the entire SEC. So they have the second most negative plays per percentage of overall plays that they run. That's not good. The only bad stat this Ole Miss offense has. So 38% of their plays are RPOs, which are, if if people don't know, it's the quarterback having the ball. He makes the decision based on whoever his read is, Mm -hmm. whether it's an outside defensive end or the corner, if he's going to throw a bubble, slant, whatever the route is, or if he's going to hand the ball off or he's going to take it himself and run. It's what I want to see with Mike Wright in this Vanderbilt offense. Ole Miss runs that almost 40% of their plays. So a lot of that is going to be quick passing game. Vanderbilt's going to have to come up and play press coverage or they're going to eat them alive doing that. So also where we always say, and like in the Mississippi State game, Vanderbilt, and when you're a less talented defense, bend but don't break is the mantra. And that was the Derek Mason mantra. Unfortunately, it seems to be the Clark Lee mantra of bend but don't break. If you play bend but don't break defense against this Ole Miss offense, they're going to score 100. Because this Ole Miss offense is the best red zone offense in the entire SEC. Statistically, touchdown percentage once they get in that red zone. Matt, Matt Corral is a heck of a runner. He has 10 touchdown runs on this season. You are going to give up 80 points if you play bend but don't break defense. And Lane Kiffin wants to just keep running his normal offense, even if he puts in backups. So they have to decide, are we going to actually play press coverage, actually send blitzes, play our linebackers close enough to the line of scrimmage and play our safeties close enough to the line of scrimmage to give ourselves a chance? Or are we just going to go out and throw in the towel and say, you know, we're probably going to get beat around 45 to three, but it's not going to be 65 to three. Does that really matter? I think put these guys out there. If you get beat and you're down 14, nothing, and you give up points for the 10th consecutive game on the first drive of the game playing press coverage. Well, that doesn't really matter, does it? Because you're giving up points anyway, playing your your off coverage. So you might as well take the chance, see if you can do anything to create some momentum for this team. And if it doesn't work, you're probably going to be in the same position you would have been otherwise because this defense in the first quarter can't stop anybody. It's like a wet paper bag. Yeah, so I don't so, understand the idea of playing this off coverage just to not allow them to have big plays because they're going to score anyway. Yeah, and you know we're splitting hairs, like exactly you know, off off coverage or not. You know that Ole Miss is going to put up points, and and will I, I think also you you made a lot of good points about Ole Miss and their offense and and the similarities that they have with Mississippi State. I do th- I'm I am interested, b- believe it or not. You can call me crazy, but I am interested to see what adjustments Coach Lee and Jesse Minner and this defense have done against an air raid type of offense now Ole Miss and Mississippi State are slightly different see the funniest um, part is Ole Miss actually runs the ball so I was I was pretty shocked on this Billy is I think Ole Miss has like the second or third most run plays as a percentage of their offense in the whole SEC Uh, and Vanderbilt is actually Vanderbilt's actually number two in percentage of pass plays granted a lot of that is because they're behind a lot of the games that they're playing, yeah. but but it was kind of shocking because you see Ole Miss, it's a lot of these RPOs, but you don't realize how much Matt Corral runs, and yeah. the guy runs a lot. And against, quarterback in the Tennessee there. game, Matt Corral's legs saved him. He really did. What, did and, he have and, like 195 and, yards rushing against Tennessee? I, I think, don't know the number, like but he, his legs his legs were incredible, and he can run the ball. So that's why I say those two offenses are a little bit different, and Will Rogers mm-hmm. and Matt Corral are a little bit different quarterbacks. But will I mm-hmm. am still interested to see. 
what are the adjustments? What what does Clark Lee and Jesse Minner and this defense do considering they have played offenses like this? The Missouri offense is similar to this one. The Mississippi State offense um, is pretty similar. So they have played these offenses, and Clark Lee talked about how this would help them when they play Ole Miss and Tennessee later. We'll see. How much is it? How much? What are the adjustments? Now, Will, realistically, I you know, I, we're, we're, we're likely going to see more of the same. We really are. But I think if you look deeply, if you take a deeper look with, you know, with a microscope, for instance, not, not actually, but if you just dive deeper with this defense, I, I wonder, you know, and I'm interested to see what in differences you see. So like, if you see a couple interceptions against Ole Miss, you know, that, that, I think that's improvement. Now I, that's not going to show up on the scoreboard, likely not, but um, I like what I like that second key, um, and, and I do think um, you know we are splitting hairs with that, and 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 saying yes, you know I, I press coverage is um, you know we've talked about that a lot, and I do think we agree on you know you got to have the dues, but at this point you know why not switch it up? <laughs> I mean like so that, I think that's where we're at. But will you? It's can, kind of, uh, yeah, we can go, go to the third, third one now. But it, yeah, exactly what you said at the end, Billy. Is it's kind of like the question of do we put Mike right out there? Do we play press coverage? It's like, well, it can't get worse. <laughs> so, like, it, the offense is the worst in, like, all of – it's 128th out of 130th in all of FBS football. The offense is already that with Ken Seals at quarterback. You know you're awful with that situation. You know your defense is awful playing how you were playing right now. So it can't hurt. That's nope. that's all – that's the I'm, whole I'm key you. number two. So, no, key number three is going to be pretty obvious. This is not saying time of possession because I hate that stat. But you have to control the pace of play to keep this game remotely close. And I think Mike Wright, going back to key one, gives you the best chance of doing that. Vandy leads the conference with a 44% or a 44.3% or 44% three and out percentage. Sorry, guys, <laughs> a lot of numbers. 44% of their drives end in three and outs. Yeah. That is mind boggling. Now, look at that, and that's like, you're like, oh, that's bad. Well, the rest of the SEC, there's one other team that has above a 30% three and out rate, and that is at 31% with Arkansas. Nobody else is above 30%. So if Vanderbilt comes out and almost half of their drives has a three and out against this Ole Miss offense and looking forward next week against UT's offense, it's going to be even more of a bloodbath than we can imagine. So Mike Wright gives you the best chance to control, pick up a couple first downs. That's all you are looking to do in this game. You are not going to beat Ole Miss. You are not going to beat UT as much as it pains me to say it. They are so far above in scheme and game plan and coaching ability and player ability. They just are. So you have to go into this and you have to try to do your best to compete and keep this game relatively competitive and give the feeling going into a second half in one of these two games that you're only down 17. Mm -hmm. That would be a huge win. And controlling the pace to play, not time of possession, but just not going three and out would just be such a huge key to this team. And maybe, maybe, Billy, I know I'm talking crazy, get some first quarter points. Oh, maybe. Why not? Why not? And, and will I, I also think some Vandy fans would be happy to see another trick th trick play throw from Cam Johnson. I yeah. mean, that was that might have been the best throw of the season. Um, and, and and so mate, just more things like that. I think that plays into the pace of play. Like, say you pick up a third down off of one of those wrinkles, you, you get your you get your drive moving. I mean, you may get stagnated, but. You know, it's it's these are small things we're talking about here. Like, you know, I want fans to understand that. Like, we're not we're not going like the ETSU preview was deep. I mean, that was deep. And same with Colorado State. I think same with Stanford. But ever since we got into the meat of the SEC play, Will, 
we are finding ourselves talking about these same exact things. So we're having to dive deep. I, I think we've dug as deep as we possibly can with this team. Who I, Maybe not. I mean, we've all, we keep talking about there's more layers, there's more stuff to talk about. But, well, I, I do think with this offense, what weapons step up? I mean, I agree with you. With this, this offense has, I, I hate saying dudes, but they've got some dudes. I mean – yeah, okay, okay. They have enough dudes they, to not to be scoring to be scoring it, more than fifteen point one points per yes, game. Is yeah, is yes. what you're saying? Yeah, they have it, enough dudes to not be 128th out of 130 FPS teams in offensive production. And experienced, proven guys like Cam Johnson and Ben Bresnahan is capable. Chris Pierce is capable. Will Shepard is capable. Amir Abdurrahman is capable. They have all these guys that have shown not only in practice. I mean, the coaches have seen it, but last year fans have seen it the past couple years. So with this offense, can any of those guys really come into their own and shake off the dust, shake off some of that rust from this season? And like you said, well, with the third key can kind of help with that pace of play. So that's that's a, a lot of what I think is are some fans are looking at just kind of are there are what guys step up? I mean, the final two games of the season, does Bullivis hit a 50 yarder to step up? I mean, any it's any it can be anybody. That's that's my point, you know. Yeah. And and I think that like what we're saying is we're just repeating the same things, is it's been very disheartening to watch that we are repeating the same things, is that this staff hasn't changed. And we said we're not we're not going to judge based on wins and losses. Yeah. I don't think we've judged based on wins and losses. I think I came yeah. in pretty harsh during the Colorado State game. I've come in positive after games um, that, that they've gotten their butt kicked in, like the Missouri game. They lost that game. I came out very positive because I'm not looking at wins and losses. I'm looking at the game plan, how they execute, how they play. And the frustrating part is most of when you come and listen or, or ever record one of these podcasts – is you can talk about individual guys, but most of your breakdown is going to be from the perspective of game plan, decision-making, play calling. And the problem is we hit on it early in that ETSU game, and we've hit on it throughout the year, is I can go through and look at the look at the the plays they have called throughout the last few weeks and look at the first and second down play calling and go through and myself chart the plays alongside SEC StatCat, which is what I was doing at Stat the beginning Cat. of the year, which is how I got all of these stats and why I was such on a tangent. And it's disheartening to come on here, complain about those things, see they're not working, obviously. And then we're in game 11 and we've just played 10 games and every single game, the coaching staff has made the same mistakes, same stupid play calls, same predictable overall scheme, and nothing has changed. They haven't adjusted to, to things not working. They haven't adjusted to injuries. They haven't adjusted to guys stepping up or not stepping up or adjusting the lineup throughout the year. It's the same. It's rigid. It's flat. It's what my issue was with Derek Mason is he may have a great defensive mindset at Stanford. He may have a great defensive game plan going into the 2016 year. Well, that defensive game plan isn't going to work in 2017, 18, 19. Same thing with offense. You have to adjust. And so far, this staff has done none of that. And that is where we haven't been able to come. We haven't haven't been able to come on here and have new takes because they haven't adjusted to our original takes from game one. No. And will any any fan I've I've heard I've seen a few fans on Twitter talk about how this season doesn't matter or this season is a wash. And no, this season, this is team one, team one of Clark Lee. There's a reason he's calling it that. This team is capable. You know, people 
there I've seen so many fans where, it, you know, look, th- this team, like you talked about with like special aids, this, there is, there are guys on this team with talent and, and they're capable. So anyone saying that this season doesn't matter or this season is useless, we shouldn't talk about this season at all. No, this is team one, this team matters, and we need to be talking about this because it's the first season of Clark Lee, a former Vanderbilt football player who has returned home to coach his hometown team, this matters. And so, again, there's been a lot. I, I've we've, all, we've both had negativity against Clark Lee. We, he's made mistakes. He knows it. And, and every, that whole entire staff, the whole team. But I think right now, I just want people to realize that this team mad, this team matters and the culture matters and recruits and and you know so that I just want to get that out and, and I know you know we've 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 uh we've been negative about Clark Lee. We have. You know, we've been positive. We've praised him a few times of course too. Um but I think this is it's so early and and we've talked about the the rebuild and it's it's just tough to, you know, a lot of people on the surface, it's, t- it's tough to talk about on the surface, but once you go deeper and kind of release those layers, I think is when you, when you kind of find what you want to talk to talk about at least. So. Yeah. And right there, Billy, I mean, you hit on it. I think exactly. This is great because we talked about the basketball game that had an awful offensive performance against VCU yeah. and it's exact. I didn't, I'm not going to come on and freak out about what they were trying to do in offense in a one-off game. Now, if they come out against Winthrop, try to run the same exact thing and it doesn't work and they put up 50 points against Winthrop, then the alarm bells start ringing. Then if they come out against Pittsburgh and they run the same offense, same exact thing, then I'm going to start being like, okay, what are we doing? Do you have any idea what's going on? Are you even watching game film as a coaching staff? And that's where I get with this football team is I don't think Jerry Stackhouse is going to come out and run the same offensive game plan. He's going to make tweaks. I don't mean throw out the entire offensive scheme. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are small tweaks in game planning on what you call on first for second down, and they've just done the same cycle the entire year. Mm -hmm. And so that's where I think you can't freak out the first time you see a mistake because the first time it's a mistake. All right. It's just you messed up. You screwed up. It's an error. Everybody makes mistakes. We can forgive that. The second time can still be a mistake but it's kind of conscious. The third time is a conscious decision to keep doing the same things that don't work. And you, your refusal to change your rigidity is a decision. And that's where I'm just like clear house on offense because they are so rigid and thinking what we are doing is right and what we are doing is going to work. They're way too close and invested into this and they just need to clear house, bring, out and bring in an outside perspective that sees where they are right now, which is you have some decently talented guys on the outside, an undermanned offensive line that's not the worst Vanderbilt's ever had, and you have an athletic quarterback. Boom. Right there, yep. you can design a playbook that works around mm-hmm. that. And this and Joey Lynch, and they have not done that this season. No, no they haven't. And I'm completely with you on that, Will. And, and I, it's going to be interesting to see what candidates want this job. You know, because that we're, I think we're just under the assumption this that, is yeah, going to be a, no, be a thing like, here, Billy. That's a key that we don't. I think we gloss over, um, and you know, we we talk about oh, I, you know, it, it because think look at look at it. Let's look at it realistically. The Vanderbilt offensive coordinator job, and and this has been a long one. We're going to end it here soon. But the offensive coordinator at Vanderbilt, you have you you described it well, but the last three seasons have have been probably. Again, I wasn't alive in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, but the time we've been alive, those are the three worst years in a row 
I, at least, you know, from recent memory, you could go back to maybe some of those Bobby Johnson years, but the state of the program as an offensive coordinator, where's the motivation? I mean, you have some guy, you have some talent coming in, but I think what, what an offensive coordinator needs, you know, if there's a lucky situation out there, an offensive coordinator out there somewhere who has a great relationship with a young quarterback in high school and kind of tags him along and say, Hey, you know, I know you're young right now, but the Vanderbilt offensive coordinator job is available. Let's, let's go do this. You know, I think that's what it will take right now. Now I could be totally wrong. Vanderbilt could hire, come in and bring in a, a big time offensive coordinator from uh, you know, a D D a lower level D one school and he could have success, but I'm saying with the state of where this offense is right now, I think to make a, a quicker step forward, I think you need that. You need something else there. You know, you've got to have that quarterback who has a great relationship with that offensive coordinator. I could be going way too far here, but I just think it's going to take three, four years to really realize what this offense can do. And yeah, I thought you were going to go a little bit different there, Billy, with what you're talking about with the offensive coordinator position there, because I thought you were going to go and get into what we had talked about previously um, when discussing OCs and everything, which is Mm -hmm. who looking from an at you're an offensive coordinator, right? Okay, we'll we'll put you there, Billy. Billy Derrick, you're you're an OC candidate right now. You are at let's just say you're at MTSU. Okay. All right, you're the let's just say MTSU back when they were pretty good. You you you're a rising star. Right. You have experience. You're 43. You have 10 years of offensive coordinator experience, which is what they need. 10 plus years. Okay. Let's just get that out there to start. No more young guns. They don't have experience. You have 10 years and you're looking around and you're saying, I can stay one more year here, or I can look around at these other, other power five programs, or I can go to Vanderbilt. And that's not very appealing because Vanderbilt is where OCs go to die. You are going to be undermanned. You're likely going to have a bad defense and you're simultaneously going to be playing against the best defenses overall in a conference in the country. And you're going to be playing against the best defensive minds overall overarching in the country at those defensive coordinator and off and head coaching positions. So it's a tough spot to draw anyone in. Now on the flip side of that, you can say, well, that is true, but literally the fan base expectations are so damn, you can have the 80th ranked offense, 90th ranked offense in the country, and we're going to be throwing a parade for you. So <laughs> there's two sides of that is right now, I think going into it, you're like, okay, it's not a very appealing job, right? It's it's probably the toughest OC job in power five football. I think mm-hmm. I, it, just like I think Clark Lee's job is the hardest head coaching job in all of power five football. And but our, but it's been so bad this year that literally you would think there would be an offensive coordinator at a lower level, whether it's FCS or it's a lower level, lower conference in FBS and say, I only have to score three touchdowns a game on average. And I'm going to be viewed as the greatest offensive coordinator turnaround in the history of Vanderbilt football. And all you have to Why do not? is score three touchdowns and you can get that chance at a power five level. So you're going to have to take a risk. You're not going to get the guy that is the OC right now at even like another, there, like there's at a Kansas a really good or one. something there, a, or WKU, at Coastal Carolina. WKU's offensive coordinator is legit right now. See, that's the guy I like. I don't think Vanderbilt's going to get. That's the perfect example. I couldn't think of this. Yes. Western Kentucky. When I was set in TSU, that's what I was mm-hmm. trying to say. Is Western yeah. Kentucky like that type of guy that they have one of the better? Yeah, his name is his name all- is Zach Kitley, and he's yeah. his offense has put up numbers the past few years. So that is the guy that Vanderbilt won't get. 
because he's going to look at that and he's going to have his choice of power five jobs like exactly. at, at least no, in the I'm next couple years. He I'm will with, not where they I'm need to you. go is like UT Martin's offensive coordinator or something. Like I'm not saying them specifically. I just yeah. saw them put up 35 points and a half against right. my alma mater, Tennessee Tech. So, right. but that is the type of guy they can get because that's a guy that's a couple steps away from a power mm-hmm. five OC job. But he's not. But he's not one step away, and that's another, the guy Vanderbilt's not going to be able yeah. to get. Another potential candidate will could be a guy that isn't an offensive coordinator and doesn't have experience. I know some fans hate hearing that and maybe getting that candidate. But will realistically, how many current offensive coordinators at the D one level would go to Vanderbilt? You think? I know there's some lower tier teams in the group of, in the group of five that I think that that would. But Vanderbilt might even – well, I mean, look at – you brought in an NFL receiver coach and the offensive coordinator at Colorado State to be your quarterback For coach. a year, formerly so, at Ball State. Yeah, a half a year he coached five games. So judging off of that, the, pol- the pool that they were going off of, that's the best that, – that, is that the best you could have gotten there? And if, if the answer is yes, then the spot they're in is – is almost it, it, it's crazy to it's impossible for it seems impossible for another offensive coordinator at a D1 level to even make that decision. So, so what you're saying, Billy, is it's impossible to draw in not, someone the, the, at the coordinator position. So you have to bring in a guy with that mindset and scheme already in mind at the head coaching position. Jesus I didn't, Christ. I didn't, I didn't hear we you. Have, Can you say it again? We, we have this overall thing that we discussed the same thing. Like this is some big damn mystery. This was going to happen. I said this after I, they hired Clark listen, Lee. Listen, it's just, I, do, sorry, Billy, I'm getting I, fired up I, because I, I was so listen, right. At, I, I oh. get, I get what you're saying, but we have to move past that. Clark Lee is the coach right now. And that, you know, we got, we got to move past that. And, yeah. you know, right at the beginning when he was hired, I, when you were saying that, I, I, I totally get that. But now Vandy fans are, this is who, this is the guy. And yet to an extent, you know, you can, you know, fans can, can bash him all you want, but this, this is the guy. I mean, he's our guy and you know, whether you like it or not, I mean, that like that, that's, that's, I think. And it's, it's not that it's, I hated it. Cause I get what they were trying to do. I mean, you have Clark, you have Lee, it's going to be hard to maintain a head coach with any success at Vanderbilt right. because they're going to get offered a better more funds and, behind them, more and support. They and they didn't but, want that. And with Clark Lee, if he has success, I think he will stay. So what they it, were saying exactly. is we're going to hire him. We can actually get this guy yes. that in three years is going to be way out of our reach. Yes. And he played here. And if he has success, he's not going to jump off to the next opportunity yes. because he wants his family here. So that yes. was the idea, which is why I wasn't so opposed to it because I right. get that. Yeah. But it's still, you saw all of this coming. I mean, it was coming at you like a freight train and, and all of us were just standing here like huh what's Which, that we're gonna <laughs> offensively struggle that's a shock because this guy has no experience and we're gonna bring in this guy that was a wide receivers coach and we don't have a lot of talent surprise surprise our which, offense sucks which is why will clark lee's tenure is going to be defined by this decision if, yep. if he doesn't bring in an offensive coordinator there's going to be a lot of people off the train i can guarantee you that he this decision is the biggest because offensive offense is the name of the game for, for a long time at the defense, you could say, you know, there was a lot of good defensive football going on. And this is, this is probably our longest episode, by the way, I want to point that out, but well, all I'm saying is that's, it's just a big, it's the biggest decision he's going to make. 
and who who knows what happens. Well, Billy, what did we say when Derek Mason at the end? We said it's the old coaching uh, story of you walk in there three uh, envelopes sitting on the coach's desk, and they're labeled number one, number two, number three, and it said open at 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 cruxes of your head coaching tenure. And the envelope number one says blame blame your staff, blame the coaching staff, overhaul the staff. Then you open up envelope number two after more failure and you say, blame the administration and blame that overall. Then you open up number three envelope at another crux and it says, go to the store and buy three envelopes. And that right now at Clark <laughs> Lee, unfortunately, after year one, he's opening envelope number one. And you really didn't want that to happen, but it's going to have to happen. And this decision, like you said, Bill, it's going to define everything. Yeah, this is going to is. be this is going to be the make or break for Clark Lee in his entire coaching career. It is. And, and Will, I, I think... You know, we'll we'll get deeper into this. You know, we, we could keep going, but uh, but that's another issue for after the season. People are but, uh, getting a little preview as to what our <laughs> off season episodes are going to li- are going to sound like now. Oh, a lot man. more uh, discussion. Yeah, that was fun. That was fun. But well, we've got uh, we got a, two two games on Saturday. They're both at night, so we'll, we'll both be switching off from Winthrop and Ole Miss. Um, you know, we'll see which game we end up watching more of. What whether <laughs> depending on which game it goes better. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, Winthrop Saturday night, seven o'clock, Ole Miss, uh, eight thirty Eastern on the SEC Network. We didn't and... do any predictions for Ole Miss, Billy. We can throw them in there at the end. <laughs> Ole Miss wins. <laughs> Ole Miss wins fifty-five to seven. That's my prediction. All right. I got I got Ole Miss. I think Vandy. I don't I don't even know. <laughs> Forty. I I don't know if they get to fifty. I'll say I'll say forty-eight to ten. I'll wow. say 48-10. I mean, what, okay. what's the over-under, though? Is it uh, 65 and a half, I think it was? So, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I think a lot of those are probably going to come from Ole Miss, though, obviously. Yeah, so. I, think, I think probably Ole Miss's over-under is like 54 and a half. <laughs> yeah. say, like, I'm not kidding. I bet, I bet it is pretty close. I haven't yeah. seen that. Hammer. I don't know, though. We, we could see. That's a, that's 36 is a lot of points. I, I still think Ole Miss covers, but that, that's, a, that's a ton of points. Who knows? Who knows? Hey, hey. <laughs> I mean, I'm I not saying be, I I'm will not, not be. I will not be betting that game. In any I'm not. Direction. I'm not going to say bet Vandy to cover, but I'm saying it could get close. Thirty six and a half is a because lot. that's that's a lot. You could have a backdoor touchdown. That's to the point of like they could pull out all. They could have their third string in, and Vanderbilt could like score. And that's in the that's quarter. what I think is going to happen. Ole Miss is going to rest a lot of their starters, like yeah, probably I think to, they will. for the entire second half. So I think I think there's a good chance Vandy covers. That's that's where I'm going with it. So. Okay. Um, Little we'll, gambling we'll, we'll, insight from Billy. Yeah. Moving up, moving up in the world. <laughs> All right, well, that does it. Episode 127. Thanks for tuning in, guys. Welcome back into the Door Report alongside Ben Mintz. I'm Billy Derrick. Of course, you may recognize that name from Barstool Sports. He is uh, a part of several podcasts, three to, to name a few, Fantasy Football Factory Podcast Pick Central, it's a gambling podcast there. Uh, I think that's during the day. And then Cracking Aces, a, a poker podcast. And, of course, many of you know, if you're Bar- Barstool fans, he's the diehard Ole Miss fan and uh, New Orleans native as well. But uh, but he joins the podcast, of course, with uh, Ole Miss and Vanderbilt coming up on Saturday. Uh, ben, thanks for taking the time. I got to ask you, uh, what's what's a day in the life like of Ben Mintz at Barstool? What, I, mean, I, I would assume every day is different. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, right now, you're catching me this week. I've been on the road almost the whole last five weeks. I did New Orleans Halloween. I did Ole Miss LSU, Ole Miss A&M, and I played in the World Series of Poker. So this week, my head is almost spinning coming back to the Barstool office because, you know, it's uh, I just am trying to get some structure back in my life here. So we're going to chill out and be off the road really until Christmas. 
Um, and just, but the day in life. So the pick central is every day from noon to one on the YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. So New York's a little bit of a later arriving to work town, but you stay later. So I usually come in right. at 10 or 10 30. I do right. pick central. Uh, you know, we do cracking aces, poker stuff once mm-hmm. a week, fancy football factory podcast stuff a couple of times a week. I write blogs on the blog. And then like today, you never know what you're going to get into, but today I just tape for a uh, part of my takes got an audio book coming out. Like I'm, Oh really? I, yeah. I'm a part in that. <laughs> um, I taped a segment for the pro football show. I still do radio spots in the South. I mean, it's, it's a crazy. You never know job. what's going to go on. Yeah. Yeah. And then we're always working. I got some merchandise coming out. I'm working on that. I mean, right. The thing about Barstool, nobody does just one thing. Everybody does eight to 10 things. And mm-hmm. to me, that's what makes it interesting. Right. Um, is the fact you're always doing new stuff. So right. days fly by. You never know what you're going to get into on a day-to-day basis. Heck, right. we, I mean, you literally have no clue. But And then uh, your, your weekends, like how does that work with the streams? Are you going to a lot of the streams for college and NFL, or can you kind of pick? Is that your option for that? Uh, uh, how, how does those work? Well, so if I'm in New York, I go to them every week. And right. uh, this weekend, I'll, we've got a huge one coming up at the Egg Bowl next Thanksgiving, oh, Thursday yeah. night with Brandon Walker and me. But, uh, yeah, this weekend I'll be on the college and pro streams. The streams are actually in Hoboken, New Jersey, and it's nice because I live in Hoboken, so it's really close okay. to where I live. Nice and easy so for that, you then. Yeah, so I'm going to be doing that this weekend. Um, but, uh, it, you know, it, they give you a lot of freedom. And so I, I like to get out and on the road. You know, I kind of think I'm a little bit of a man of the people. And oh, yeah. so I, I've been traveling a good bit, so I haven't been on the streams the last few weeks. But I'll be back on this weekend. I'm thinking about it going to the Saints-Philadelphia Eagles game, actually, Sunday in Philly. Oh, okay, that should be a good one. Um, ben, I got to ask you, you traveled. You were in Oxford last weekend uh, for that one. That was a crazy scene uh, for, for Texas A&M and Ole Miss. I've never been to a game. Uh, I've never been to the Grove. I've never been to Oxford. I won't be there this weekend. I wish I could go. But – how would you describe the game day environment down there and maybe what time people start setting up? Is that a Wednesday, Thursday, maybe Friday type thing for a big game like AM? Or, you know, overall, how would you describe what goes on down there on a big game day? Yeah, well, last weekend, especially with college game day being there, I mean, people were like all night staying out there and they kind of don't let people set up in the grove till Friday late afternoon. But, I mean, Oxford was just – both LSU with Eli's number getting retired and then last week with college game day, I mean, Oxford was just like old right. school slam. Reminded <laughs> me of the Eli with three days and the freeze 2015 days. Uh, you know, it was just packed everywhere. Uh, big thing that's happened in Ole Miss recently is the game atmosphere has really improved. Uh, they modernized all the lighting and the music, and the, they're just doing – they've really done a good job making it mm-hmm. like a modern game day atmosphere. It used to be a little weaker, so I'm glad to see that. A big shout out to the Ole Miss Athletic Department for investing in that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just slammed everywhere. I mean, Oxford's a small town. There was nowhere to stay. Square was jammed. Grove was jammed. But it was just great to see. I mean, you're talking about coming out of COVID. And then the Matt Luke era, 17 to 19, there's an extreme amount of apathy toward the program. So, mm-hmm. you know, just great to see the Oxford economy rocking. And I think it's going to help Ole Miss enrollment. And, you know, a lot of good things going on with the school. And, you know, everybody always talks about Kippen, but you got to give a huge shout out to Keith Carter. Ross Bjork, the AD, left for AM. And a lot of people criticized the Keith Carter hire because he was an Ole Miss guy, played basketball there, felt like it was a later hire. But he's the right guy. He gets the Ole Miss culture. He's a young guy with a vision, and uh, everything he's done has been great. And so I want to just give him huge praise. He's been no awesome. doubt, no doubt. Yeah, I got to ask you about you talked about the atmosphere at Ole Miss. Uh, the atmosphere in 2013 for a certain Ole Miss Vandy game was pretty special. And I remember going to that. I was in high school. That was a Thursday night game. That was the open the season on a Thursday night, Ole Miss Vandy. That was the most rocking I've seen that stadium 
Uh, I got to ask you, did you go to that game? I was not at that game, but I watched it, and I remember a couple of vision scenes. Jordan Matthews puking on the field yes. after the concussion yes. third quarter and then catching that 80-yard <laughs> touchdown late in the game. And then Jeff Scott busting oh. that 75-yarder to Killer. win it. I mean, that was, a, that was one of the most memorable Miss Vandy games. The game I was at that was the most memorable was I believe I believe it was 2 when Vandy and Cutler were beating Ole Miss 38-17 in the third quarter, and Ole Miss and Eli came back at 145 38 That older Vandy fans remember that, that one was just nuts. Uh, I have a buddy that came down from Vandy to Ole Miss that weekend and was staying with me, and he was so mad he didn't even tell his mom bye after the game and, like, drove back to <laughs> But Eli I remember that. Cutler, the other man, one that, I remember was 3 Eli's last year, Jonathan Nichols made a 54-yarder at Vandy to win that game. That was the lower scoring close game at the beginning of the year. But Ole Miss and Vandy have played so many close ones. Yeah. And then I also remember 2008 when Vandy won at Oxford and then Ole Miss won at Florida as a 30-point underdog and beat Tim mm-hmm. Tebow the next week. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Ole Miss yep. Vandy are always – you always think of the 11-11-30 Jefferson yep. Pilot kind of ugly games. But there have been a lot of yeah. – you know, Vandy's given Ole Miss a lot of problems over the years. I think, I it, was, I think it was also 2014 on the road. Vandy went – and beat Ole Miss. Uh, it was a, I think uh, Jordan Rogers threw a touchdown to Chris Boyd on the left side of the end zone, and that was a game where Ole Miss controlled the entirety of that game. So there have been some really good games. It's been fun to watch a lot of these this season. It's going to be different, but back to that 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 Vanderbilt Stadium atmosphere, open a season on a Thursday night, ESPN, Ole Miss, Vandy, two teams on the rise. Ole Miss is a lot higher in their echelon right now, of course, with Lane Kiffin, but. With that Vanderbilt Stadium, the way it looked, do you think Clark Lee is the man to rebuild Vanderbilt back to where they were under James Franklin? And how long do you think that could take? Because it seems, I mean, it seems even more insurmountable than at least Vandy people would have thought. See, my thing with the, with the Clark Lee hire, and I thought he was a great defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, and, you know, I get all that. But I almost feel like, you know, the best year with Franklin, you almost need like a wide open offensive coach, you know, mm-hmm. to me to win. Because I don't think the grind that I know, like, I don't know. I just feel like you need some kind of thing that gives you an identity. Mm-hmm. You know, they and Ole Miss had to, had had Miss has had to do that, to be honest. Like, you look at the Ole Miss good years, the up-tempo wide-open freeze, and the up-tempo mm-hmm. wide-open given. Right. You're and, not going to hammer Alabama, LSU, and Auburn in the trenches. So you got to have mm-hmm. some kind of, you know, gimmick thing. That's so what Ole Miss has done. Yeah. And so and, I and didn't Lane know if I, I didn't that. love the hire because of that. I just feel like going defensive minded. I don't, I don't know if that's going to work. At yeah. And I think that was, uh, I don't think Vanderbilt was going to push the envelope anymore with a coach like Franklin. I think they did want a Vanderbilt guy and Clark Lee was the perfect hire for that, at least for that situation. But we'll see again, our, our, our feeling is that it's just going to take a lot longer than we, than we had thought coming into the season. And so, uh, but you guys, I think are, are, Matt Luke, you know, that that's that's a little bit different situation there. But now you got Lane Kiffin, of course, so that pretty quickly changed uh, on its heels there. But what has Lane Kiffin done to these fans? And and it's pretty crazy. Immediately when he got here, he's kissing babies on the tarmac and, and it's he fits perfectly for Ole Miss. I mean, I can't imagine a better coach there. So what has he done to kind of galvanize his fan base? Oh, man. Just Well, first of all, he's just brought swagger and relevancy back. I mean, even last year when Ole Miss was 5-5, five and five, it was the most entertaining 5-5 five and five season that I've ever yeah. seen. And, you know, we as sports fans, I know it's a weird way to look at it, but sports is entertainment. And, you know, you look at, like, the Jeremy Pruitt Tennessee teams and the Muschamp South Carolina, like, if you're going to be mediocre, you need to be fun. You don't need to win 17-13 exactly. every week. And 
you know, Kiffin, you know, all these old Miss games, even when we lost last year, it'd be like 55 to 50. I mean, the entertainment value is off the charts. You know, Lane's an engaging guy. He's really used social media and Twitter well. And people are just fascinated by him. And, you know, he kind of fits the Ole Miss fan base, like being a little cockier. Like, oh, yeah. uh, he fits perfectly. Fits. Yeah, it fits well. And, you know, you mentioned Matt Luke. Matt Luke did a big favor at Ole Miss, though. The junior class, he did a really good job recruiting Jerry Neely and Matt Corral and those guys. And Kiffin had a choice between Arkansas and Ole Miss, and he took Ole Miss because Ole Miss had a good freshman class. And he thought it was less of a rebuild because Arkansas could have given him more money. They'd got right. a little bit of money. But, you know, the biggest thing is just making Ole Miss nationally relevant again because from 2017 to 19 with NCAA stuff, Man, Ole Miss is an afterthought. You know, the state stands were empty. You know, everything, there's just a lot of fan apathy. And Kiffin coming back just brought national relevancy back. And, you know, now I've been very lucky to play a part of that at Barstool to give Ole Miss a national voice. And uh, it's, just, it's just been so special. And, you know, Kiffin continues to just, I mean, he, he saves like the Oxford economy. I mean, when you really look at it, you know, how packed it was and coming off of COVID, I mean, how much money he brings in. So, you know, there's a lot of rumors floating around right now on coaching jobs as they're often are this time of year. Uh, Ole Miss is about to just give Kiffin the, the freaking bank. I mean, they're going to give them. They, give they them better. They, oh, they, they will. They're, they're going to have to. They're going to have to. I want to talk to you about this game here and, and this week, but also a little bit what happened last week. Ole Miss coming off a huge win at home over A&M. Now they welcome Vandy to Oxford in kind of that classic hangover situation. Now, I think this is different maybe in the Franklin years. Vandy might might have been able to maybe pull that this year could be a little different. Um, Vandy has struggled though, uh, Ben against the top tier SEC teams and it's the top offense in the SEC versus the worst defense in the SEC. So it's hard to believe this Ole Miss game on Saturday night is going to be much different. Would you agree with, with that? The thing about this Ole Miss game, Ole Miss has had seven brutally tough games in a row going back to October 2nd or 3rd at Bama. You know, literally seven weeks in a row, it was Bama, Arkansas, Tennessee, LSU, Auburn, Liberty, who's not bad, yeah. and Texas A&M. Ole Miss has Mississippi State next Thursday on a short week in the Egg Bowl. I mean, Ole, I, Ole Miss is laying 36. I don't think Ole Miss gives the slightest crap about running it up in this game. I think Ole Miss is going to try to get up a few touchdowns and get everybody out of there. Stay healthy. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're just really beat up after those seven weeks. Um, I don't think Ole Miss is going to have a huge, too much trouble in this game. I just don't think Vandy's got enough off, off, offensive firepower to keep up, like you said. But I would not lay 36 to Ole Miss here in the, the slightest bit. I mean, I think Ole Miss, you know, it, it, that the short week with Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl is going to be monster next week, especially after State just beat Auburn. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I, 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 there's no way I'd lay 36, but I, I think Ole Miss is going to win like 42-17 or 42-21. Yeah, like I was actually just going to ask you that. Uh, I don't think I would hit that 36 either, but Matt Corral might help that out. You know, if he plays. This is senior, I mean, he's not a senior, but this is a senior day. He's obviously right. coming out. Right. He doesn't so, want to go down, you know, struggling against a Vandy team. So, but with him, Ben, third in the SEC in passing yards behind Will Rogers and Bryce Young. Will Rogers, by the way, has been incredible. Um, yeah. Where, where is Matt Corral in, in your mind in the Heisman voting? Because it seemed coming into the season, he was the guy. I mean, you know, I, there were other guys out there. I don't think anybody expected Kenneth Walker to do what he's doing this season. But for Matt Corral and this, what he's done in this Ole Miss offense, where is he in the voting in your mind? Man, he so he was leading for a while, but just this offense has gotten so beat up. The receiving core specifically. John Domingo broke his foot before the Bama game. Ontario Drummond played last week, but he's been battling stuff all year. Braylon Sanders has been out. 
and it's really hurt Corral's Heisman chances because you've had to see Corey Pearson's playing better, uh, but you've had to see young guys out there at receiver that have struggled to run routes and have struggled to run the offense. And so Corral in the Tennessee and Arkansas games had to win with his legs. I mean, he ran for like 190 some yards against Tennessee. Mm-hmm. He ran for a lot against Arkansas and he got really beat up. He's been playing with a sprained ankle. And so I think Corral's just been a complete hero gutting it out with all the injuries. Ben Brown also one of old Mrs. Best Lyman's out for the year. Mm-hmm. And so Corral probably won't win the Heisman anymore, really by virtue of the fact that the receivers got hurt. Right. Because the passing game lost a lot of explosiveness. But the, the effort's been unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, Ole Miss has been so beat up to be eight and two right now, two losses at Bama, at Auburn. You know, this has been such a special season to win the Tennessee and Arkansas games and, you know, last week to beat AM. But the story really is lately has been the defensive improvement. I mean, the Arkansas game almost won that crazy shootout 52 51. But since then, other than the first half at Auburn when they scored 28, Ole Miss's defense has been awesome the last month. I mean, yeah, they have. They have. They've, yeah, uh, they've I mean, really improved a lot. I was actually just going to ask you about that. Their defense was struggling at first, early you know, 128th on. 128th in the country last year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they were bad. And especially at the beginning of this season, it seemed like it, it had carried over. What changed? I mean, what changed with this defense? Well, I think one of the big things is the transfer portals changed a lot of college football. And, you know, Ole Miss went and got Chance Campbell, who led the Big Ten in tackles at Maryland last year, who's just been a phenomenal linebacker. You go get Jake Springer, a safety from Navy, who's awesome. And then they got Otis Reese from Georgia who started the Egg Bowl last year. You got three guys you just plug in there who were freaking top-tier starters. Mm-hmm. And Sam Williams kind of came on toward the end of last year, had a huge outback bowl against Indiana. He's, He's like 10, 10 and a half sacks now. Yeah, I think he's so, at 11 now, yeah. Yeah, or 11 now. And so you got uh, you got some real strong frontline starters. And the other thing, too, is DJ Durkin. So even when you watch Ole Miss this year, you know, the last few years you can see blown coverages everywhere. Ole Miss hadn't has barely blown the coverage all year. People are well coached; they're where they're supposed to be. If there is a weakness on the D, you know they're kind of undersized and fast. So you got to pound it at them. Mm-hmm. But even the run defense played well against AM last week, held them to 150 yards. Mm-hmm. So uh, to me, the story has been the, the defense and you know first half shutouts against Louisville, Liberty, and AM. Three different mm-hmm. games, first big first half shutouts this year. So also Ben, I, I got to tell you, I commend you, your team, and your fans. I don't know if you were in Knoxville for the Tennessee game, but oh, I wasn't there. What Lane Kiffin w- was able to survive there with going back to Knoxville, I mean that was that was heroic. It felt like it felt like that was Lane Kiffin and his team just kind of getting galvanized and saying, "Hey, we're not losing this game." And that, I commend you and you got and, and your team for doing that because that that's it's not easy to go into kneeling and get that win. And and you know obviously Vandy people know it well, and and we we commend you guys for that. Well, what was crazy about that one was if Tennessee had came back and won at the end, they would have. What did, what, did you, what did you what did you think what did you think about that call? Obviously you're an almost fan, but subjective. Oh, I thought he was short. The call at the end, I thought he was short. Yeah. I mean, I mean he, I'm reached, he, reached, he reached out, but the ball was not in his yeah, hand. Yeah, I didn't think it was a bad I think I can understand why Tennessee fans are so mad in the heat of the moment, but like I don't think they got screwed on that call at all. It looked no. like he reached out, but he was already down. That's the funniest like, part of it. That's that's the best part of it all. It, it's it was the it, they're arguing about, you know, over the right call. So uh but Ben, I got one more here for you. Um, obviously you're working at Barstool Sports. Since you've gotten the job, what's the, you know, you talked about it being so unique because you got so many different things to do, but um, what's the best part in your mind about working at Barstool Sports and, and, and what truly makes it special for everyone? Because, I mean, at this point, you guys dominate the, the online sports industry right now. 
Well, I got to bring this up while I'm on the bandy pod. The number one moment I've had at Barstool was the Jack Leiter video last year. Oh, college. that was that was. I mean, I jinxed Jack Leiter and I we, said it was zero zero, and he allowed that Hummer. That video we, got almost two million views. We but were man, big. Talking, we Andy, were big fans. We were big fans of you up until that video. Yeah. Oh man, you should have seen all the, the DMs I was getting from bandy fans. I mean, I got death threats from a couple. Like it was insane. <laughs> They're, they're, it was that bad, but uh, that, hey, I, but you you stuck up for us. Uh, I was watching some of those shows from out there in Omaha, and and all those state fans. You were you were that lone Vandy fan there. I don't know how many Vandy fans there. That's the problem. With that. Yeah, that's that, that's the problem. I mean, you know, you got the best net. You got it, it. I compare it to Duke basketball. Now, Duke Vanderbilt hasn't been as good for as long as Duke basketball, but you know, you got to travel. I mean, what what is it going to take to get more than two thousand fans up to Omaha and travel? I mean, that, well, that's, the thing is, Duke's got a national following, and Van, exactly Vandy that. baseball is unreal. I mean, I, I I have so much respect for Jim Corbett and just the way – I mean, he develops arms, and, I mean, it's unbelievable the way – I mean, maybe the best program in the country right now. But I don't know. That that was pretty wild, uh, that yeah. video. That so, video, so how I had to views? make sure I brought that up. How many views did you it say got that? Between one point five and two million views. <laughs> oh, that's unreal. That's unreal. We'll, we'll uh, looking forward to maybe getting up to Omaha next season. Hopefully, Vandy gets there again, and maybe even Ole Miss. Uh, SEC baseball can't wait. We'll probably have you on to to be able to talk about that next year. But Ben, enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the football, and uh, appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, man. Appreciate you having me on. Thanks, Ben. Well, that does it for episode one twenty seven of the Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors. For myself, Billy Derrick, and Ben Mintz, our special guest today. Big thanks to uh, Ben Mintz, by the way, for joining us. He is a huge part of, of, uh, of the SEC footprint over there at Barstool Sports. Does a lot of college football coverage, college baseball. I'm sure. I'm sure he'll be doing more college baseball, college basketball down the road as well. Rather, so uh, again, big thanks to to Ben Mintz over there from Barstool Sports for taking the time to join us ahead of Saturday night's Ole Miss Vandy game. Alongside Ben Mintz, Will Byram, I'm Billy Derrick, and you've been listening to episode 127 of The Door Report, powered by Alaco Finewood Floors.